Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Well, good morning, everybody, both here in the room. It's great to see you literally, and also those of you who are joining us online, it's great to see you virtually. Uh, It's been such a a kind of a, a pleasure for us as a church to find ways to stay connected digitally in this season, and now that more and more people are coming out in person, that's really awesome, too, because the good news is it is summer. Have you been looking forward to summer? I think this might be one of the most anticipated summers of my entire lifetime because we've had a very difficult year. You know, starting back in mid-March through COVID, through riots, through civil disobedience, through demonstration, it's been a really interesting and in many ways a really difficult year for our region, for our country, for our church. And so we've been looking forward to this summer as a time to be refreshed. That's what summer is really all about. For so many people, maybe if your family is tied to the school calendar, well, you don't have those obligations for work or for your children. Or if you have a a different type of job, you can probably get some time off. You can travel and you can do some different things. And yet we're still not having the type of summer that we're used to, although we're trying. I heard last Sunday, and I know this was none of you because all of you last Sunday at 10.30 a.m. were either here in this room or were home streaming worship live on your couch. But I've told that by 8.30 a.m. last Sunday morning, many of the beaches in Long Island, uh, both Nassau and Suffolk County, were already closed because they were at capacity at 8.30 in the morning. Because we're trying to have a summer as best we can. And as a church, we're picking up that theme because the, the concept of refreshment is absolutely scriptural. Going back to the very beginning of God's people, we were taught the the need for Sabbath, the need for rest, and there are other traditions and practices in the Old Testament, uh, the year of Jubilee and other things where there was intentional time built into the calendar to recharge and to refresh because it is absolutely necessary. Because up until this point as a church, we've talked about how to get through a crisis, how to maximize the opportunity of crisis, how to uh, kind of manage the crisis that we're in. And now we're starting to take a different approach to say now it is time to be refreshed. Because if we don't, if we do not refresh ourselves, number one, we cannot continue to maintain the pace that we've been on. And number two, we will struggle, we will fail, and we will sin in cataclysmic and giant ways because we completely used ourselves up. So we are going to refresh ourselves with this series we're calling Refresh Summer in the Psalms. And I'm feeling now like we should have spelled summer with a P because that would have had like a better tie-in like summer with the Psalms. Or maybe we should have spelled Psalms with an S. I don't know if that's up to us though. Can we spell Psalms with an S? Is that allowed? 
I guess not. So we have to go with just the audible alliteration of summer in the Psalms, refresh, and we'll be studying the book of Psalms. Now, why? Psalms are unique, and many of you have heard me talk about this before. Psalms are poetry. The Bible is made up of different types of literature and different books. Some books are teaching, very hard-hitting instruction. Some books are history, telling you, that, you know, what happened to God's people. Some are law. Some are prophecy. And some are poetry. And because we're studying poetry, it would have all the hallmarks of poetry that you would expect. It's very emotional. It's very gut-wrenching. It's very honest. You'll see that there are times in the Psalms when the, the authors will cry out. They'll ask God difficult questions. Where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why are my enemies winning? You'll hear other times that the Psalms, the, the poets, they will have kind of great celebration and great excitement because we see this emotional gamut that exists in really in any type of artistic movement, right? That's the goal is to take that which can't quite be expressed and figure out a way to express it in the best way that it can be. That's why people write music. That's why people paint. That's why people create sculptures. That's why people write poetry. And these poets... Their work has been preserved in the Psalms. There's a number of Psalms, of course, about half of them are written by David, including our main Psalm that we're discussing today. They're also written by other people. Often they were set to music, and we're trying to figure out how they were used in the history of God's people. But we know that it's the poetry. And how do you know it's poetry? Well, really, you know that because of the way that it's written. Hebrew poetry is known for a concept called parallelism. Okay? Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. This is not a roses are red, violets are blue type of situation. It's different. The poets have laid it out and they use parallelism. They use two lines to express their thought. And let me give you an example. This is a very famous psalm that you may have heard before and it just talks about who God is. And it says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, look, line one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Line two says the same thing, the world, earth, world. And everything in it. Line two reflecting line one. Next statement. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the water. See, these say the same thing. He founded, established, seas, waters. So we're interpreting this. We always have to take the parallelism in mind. Like you can't try to pick it apart. Like here, the, the world is everything lives in it is God. Does that mean that that which isn't living isn't his? No, 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 no. This is an extension of Everything. So we see this parallelism is how we understand the poetry of the Psalms. The Psalms are actually five different books. If you read through the Psalms, and I hope you will this summer, I just started a version reading plan last week that's going to take you through the Psalms, I think, in 40 days, something like that. I started it four days before, uh, four days ago, so I'm only two days behind, and that seems about right. But I'm going to read through the Psalms this summer, and you'll find that they're in five different books. And if you read through it, it'll say the heading, book one, book two, book three. Why five? Well, we think there are five books of Psalms to kind of match the five original books in the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of the law written by Moses. This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. For the Jewish people who preserved the Old Testament scriptures, that was their foundation. That was their law. So these are sort of the five books that would complement those books. And the Psalms are laid out as a story. They're laid out beginning with God and his majesty and his power. Man's failure, which sent us into exile, which for Israel was literal. They lost their land. They were deported. And then the return back to God. And this is not only the story of Israel, but it's actually our story as well. 
God is perfect and good, but we left him because of our sin. But God is bringing us back to himself through the revelation of who he is. So importantly that Jesus was trying to explain the Psalms this way. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. This is Jesus speaking. In the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Right from the beginning, Jesus is saying, these Psalms, they point to me, and I am here to fulfill them. That's a powerful statement that the Psalms sit on top of, that Jesus said they point to me. Now, I think it's important to understand this broader scope before we go into our specific psalm. So I want you to see the thesis statement. Psalm 1 is not included in any of the five books. It's an introduction intentionally written for the book. So in the same way, we intentionally look at it now as an introduction to our series. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this. Did I go backwards? I went backwards. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, whatever they do prospers. This is kind of a truncated, bulleted statement of the larger passage that says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Again, simplified. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever they do prospers. And there's a tension that exists in this statement which does not come naturally to us as people. And that's very simply delighting in law. We tend to view law as being restrictive, as being authoritarian, as being totalitarian, as being oppressive, that the law is reducing our freedom. And so for us to say we're delighting in the law seems to be contrary to the nature that's been built into us. Who delights in rules, structure, and order? This is not what we've been taught. Why do we love summer? Summer is a little bit less structured. Your schedule's probably a little bit more open because the weather is better. You probably have more options to be inside and be outside. We view the lack of structure as freedom. And so it's difficult for us to really talk about what it means to delight in the law. And if we start to tease it out a little bit, maybe we say, well, maybe what it really means is blessed is the one who follows the law. This is the kind of the pleasures of a good conscience. Maybe you can have a sense of settledness and a sense of pride that you've learned how to follow the law. But clearly, it says delight, so that can't be it. Or maybe it's just someone who appreciates the law. Like one person might appreciate history, or one person might love math, or one person might, you know, just their passion is philosophy. And it's like another person, well, this is someone who just loves the law, right? I mean, these are people who would become attorneys or judges, right, because they love the law. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say those who love and appreciate and respect. It says those who delight in the law. And so we have to figure out, if we're going to really be refreshed, how we can understand what that means to actually delight in his law. And so the psalm that we're going to look in an in-depth way this morning is Psalm 19. I would love it if every single person would turn to Psalm 19, either in your print Bible or on your device, for two very simple reasons. We're going to read the whole chapter together. And I think if you don't have your own copy of Psalm 19 that you can read, you're going to feel a little left out. It might even be a little bit boring and long to you. Second of all, I want you to see 
the parallelism. Because now look at your Bible. Look at how it's formatted. You can see the two lines. In fact, we've talked about this in my Bible class. There are a lot of books of the Bible that go back and forth between just regular narrative story and poetry. And this is how the translators and the publishers let you know that a poem has broken out because the formatting will change. So do you see it there, how the lines are complete, that there's semicolons and commas and all these weird and dense and line breaks? That's poetry, okay? So as you read the Psalms this summer on your own, consider how that matters and how it all factors in. If you're on our church online platform, there's a Bible tab you can use right there. Just click on it. If you're joining us on Facebook, well, the best thing you can do is jump over and join us on our website. The second best thing you can do, grab a device or another tab and open up to Psalm 19. All right, I'm going to read the entire chapter, and I want you, when we get to verse 14, the last verse in this chapter, I want you to read it out loud with me, whether you're in person or you're home. We're going to read verse 14 together as a prayer from the top. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In them, in keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Read this with me. May these words of my mouth, and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19. As I was studying this week and starting to work on this sermon and this series, I came across, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called Reflections on the Psalms, and it's very, very good. And in there, C.S. Lewis says that he believes this may be the finest poem that's ever been written, certainly in the Psalms and maybe in the course of all of human history. So when you read something like that from C.S. Lewis and you get to pick first in the series what your text is going to be, you get very excited when you see things like that. And then you feel bad for everyone else who has to preach because you just took literally the best psalm. Sorry, not sorry, okay? So Psalm 19 is unbelievable in its depth and its breadth and what it explains about God and who he is. And it's in three principal sections. Remember, this is carefully crafted. Section one is God's revelation through creation. And the psalmist went to great length. He was talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the way that they reveal God's character and his grandeur that by experiencing his creation, we can see who he is. In in the way that, you know, a, a champion runs his course with strength and pride, this is the way that the sun announces 
who God is. When we experience his creation, we can clearly and quite evidently see who God is. I hope for you this is actually part of your summer. Have you experienced that feeling when you see a beautiful sunset? Or when you're at the beach, and socially distant, of course. You're at the beach, and you see the waves. Or you take a hike up at Bear Mountain. Or you go to a national park. It's not coincidence, and it's not even you know, concurrence that you just happen to enjoy these settings when you're in them. God has designed his creation to reveal who he is to you, to us, to his creation. That he says, look at who I am. You can see who I am because of what I have done. And Paul talks about this in the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, right at the beginning. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. How? Being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. Paul is saying, you can see so much about who God is just from the creation that he has revealed to us. And so when the poet is talking about this, he's describing to us, this is, this is who God is. You can see it from his creation. And to the original audience of the poet, there would be another point that is a little bit lost on us but was incredibly important in its time. The poet is also reminding that the creation itself only reflects God. We would never worship the creation. Because in those days, some would worship the sun as God. Some would worship the moon as a God. Some would worship the stars and the pantheon as types of gods and types of symbols and zodiac and all of this. And they were kind of getting distracted by the beauty of the creation and saying, wow, I'm going to worship the creation. And the poet David is saying, no, 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 the creation reflects who God is. In our day, we struggle with this same concept in a different way. Many in our day will deny that God was involved in the creation of the world. But if we deny God's involvement in the creation of the world, we have denied ourselves one of the main ways that he has revealed to us who he is. So the creation is the general revelation of God. And so why can it be so refreshing to stand in nature? Because when you immerse yourself in creation, you are standing in an environment designed by God to invoke and display God's beauty and character. Well, the psalmist goes on. He writes a second section. He said, this is God's revelation through his law. And I believe this is the one that's harder for us to connect to, but possibly more important. Because as a good poet, and this is where David really started to show off. He talks about the law six different times, six different ways, using six different nouns, six different descriptions, and six different extensions of who God is, all in one section. It's six, six, and six again, but it's not that six, six, six. Don't go there, okay? So the poet's really showing off. He's like, I'm going to show you the beauty of the law. And so he says, well, what is the law? First, he begins with the very generic statement, Torah, which says that the law is perfect. And this is the comprehensive term for God's revealed will. He says, this law is perfect. And there's a lot of discussion about, is the law perfect because God gave it, or did God give it because it is perfect? And the answer to that is yes. Because the law is the revelation of who God is. God's perfect law is revealed because he is perfect. It says his statutes, or some other translations will call it his testimony, 
is trustworthy. God's law is not arbitrary in that you have to wonder if it's good or if it's bad, but you can trust God in his character because of who he is. His precepts are right. They are correct. They are moral and good. There is a precision to his authority and that in the way that God addresses it to his people. His commands are radiant. And we've already heard this radiance word in our psalm talking about the sun. And here the psalmist is, remember parallelism, he's starting to bring his two ideas together. Remember how the sun was radiant? Well, the commands of God are radiant. They have a warmth. They have a goodness. They have a restorative quality, right? If you have radiant heat in your home, what does it do? It just simply is the essence of heat. You can almost not tell where it comes from, but it's just everywhere and all the time. You have the fear of the Lord is pure and reverent. That when we fear God, we can see that there is none who is like him. He deserves our highest level of respect and praise, our highest level of reverence, that we would revere him fully. We would show him the highest level of respect. And his decrees or his judgments are firm. And in his firmness, we see an unchanging sense of who God is. Because when the law changes, it can be very frustrating. I don't know if this has happened to you, but in March, somebody, I'm not going to tell you who, somebody told me in March I didn't need to wear a mask. Then they told me in April, well, you might want to find a mask if you can get them. Then in May, they told me you have to wear a mask all the time if you care about anyone on the earth besides yourself. Like, wait a minute. Which one is it? Our masks helpful and we all should wear them or are masks stupid or a mask reserved only for medical professionals or are they incredibly important now i understand we've never been through this before so i'm not trying to be overly hard on those i think those in authority have been learning along the way just as we have but if we're honest it frustrates us when the law changes we want the law to be consistent and to be the same but none of this is really new to us we understand in some sort of intellectual head level that this is what the law of God looks like. But the poet on each line decided to explain the benefit of the law, or what I think may quite possibly be the beauty of the law. So what did he say that the law does? Well, first of all, it's refreshing to the soul. You will never guess how we picked the name of this series. Psalm 19, verse 8. God's law is refreshing to the soul to the soul, making wise the simple. Have you had any conversations lately, whether it was about COVID, whether it was about racialization, whether it was about how schools should go back in the fall, whether it was about how mass transit should be used, where you thought to yourself, you know, I may not know the answer to this one. By the way, if that hasn't occurred to you yet, I'll be the first to tell you, you may not know the answer to this one. There's so much in this world that we simply don't know. But if you're telling me the benefit of the law is that it can make, this is me, the simple. If it can help me to be wise, I think that's very beneficial. In fact, I would find that uh, to be quite helpful. Giving joy to the heart. So much of the joy has been sucked out of life right now. Just being honest, I'm not trying to be a downer. Uh, if this is news to you, uh, I don't know where you've been. This has been a very hard year. And finding the beauty in the law can re refresh 
and restore the joy that is in our hearts and is missing. And, and with this, remember the poet had a beautiful phrase. He said, giving light to the eyes. This is an optimism. This is a sense that things are going to get better. A sense that God is working, that God is moving, that God is in this. That the lightness in our eyes, it's a quickening of the step and a lifting of the spirits. To say good things are coming. His law is enduring forever. We don't have to wonder if God is still engaged in loving his people. And it's immersed in perfect righteousness. So why does the poet move from the beauty of creation to delighting in the law? How does he make this connection? Because it sounds a little bit like a subject change. And of course, poets are allowed to change subjects. That's not some sort of unwritten rule. But there's a parallelism happening here in the structure of the psalm that's incredibly important. Because remember we said when you're in creation, when you're immersed in creation, you're in an environment that is designed to invoke and display God's beauty and character. In the same way, when we immerse ourselves in the law, we are also standing in an environment designed to invoke and display God's beauty and character. The law is as beautiful as creation because it is how God has been made known to us. And when we learn to delight in the law, we learn so much more about who God is. You know, so many people think that faith, the Christian faith, is about becoming the best version of yourself. It's not. It's about learning to become as much like Christ as we can. And that comes from delighting in the law, that seeing the beauty of his revealed character and goodness that can only be seen to us through the law. And when we choose to live in and among and under the law, there's a delight and a freedom that comes in us as we learn to delight in the law. One of the big moments in the life of any American person and many people in the world is when you learn how to drive. It's a very exciting point in life because being able to drive the car is one of the most freeing experiences that a person can have because you can now suddenly go anywhere you want to go. Those of you who drive, there's nothing stopping you right now from driving to Montauk to see the lighthouse. There's nothing stopping you from going to a national park. There's nothing stopping you from going anywhere that you want to go. I know there's some temporary COVID restrictions, but if you're a driver, you have incredible freedom available to you. But driving is one of the most restricted and restrictive activities that exists anywhere. First of all, if you want to drive a car, you're going to have to practice, you're going to have to study, and you're going to have to pass a test that you're able to drive a car. You don't even have to do that to become a parent, right? But if you want to drive a car, you have to pass this test and demonstrate that it's possible. Once you start driving, it's incredibly restrictive. You cannot drive wherever you want. There are only certain places that you are allowed to drive. You must drive on the roads that have already been made. You cannot Make your own, at least not in this area that we live in. You certainly cannot make your own road if you want to drive from here to the city because you will sink your car. You must adhere to one of the few possible ways that are available to you. You have to drive certain speeds. 
you have to drive certain directions. You have to drive certain equipment. The car that you drive was pre-approved before it was ever manufactured. And as you know, you have to have it rechecked every single year that it's still worthy of being on our roads. When you're in your car, you have to use safety equipment, whether you like it or not. There are restrictions to how many people can be in your car. There, this is unbelievably bureaucratic, legislated, and structured. However, if we choose to participate in the driving system, we enjoy incredible freedom. And if we're charitable, you will see that each structural step along the way, you know, that you have to stop at a light that's red, that you must wear your seatbelt. Each one of these regulations is actually a delight to you because it makes the experience safer for you, which preserves your freedom. And in the same way, we can learn to delight in the law. Because when we delight in his law, we can see the freedom that comes when we choose to live in and under the way that God has taught us to live. And in fact, that's how this psalm ended. If you remember, section three was just a couple of simple prayers where the poet asked God to bring his life into alignment with God's revelation through creation and through the law. He said, please forgive my accidental sins. He said, please forgive the sins that I continue to do on purpose, my addictions, my struggles, my rebellion. And then he ended with that prayer that we all read together that the, the words in our mouths and the meditations of our hearts are pleasing and acceptable. Because when we choose to live under the, this revealed character of God, we see the incredible delight and freedom that's found in it. Beyond that, you and I have an opportunity now that was actually not available to David when he wrote this psalm. As David said, we have two incredible revelations of God, his creation and his law, both delight, both beautiful, both revealing who God is. But then a time later, person of Christ came. And Jesus explained who he was. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And the epistles talk about Jesus as being the firstborn over all creation, that everything was created by him and through him and for him. Because see, the fulfillment of his creation and the fulfillment of his law is the perfect person of Christ, which has now been brought together for us to see and love and to experience and to begin to live. The writer of Hebrews, he says it this way. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like Psalm 19. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the creation, also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The fulfillment of the law, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we have this incredible opportunity to us as we see who God has revealed himself to be through his creation, through his law, and then completely and fully through his son. So our prayer for you this summer, quite simply, is that you will be refreshed. 
And we're going to talk about, you know, concrete ways we can do that through, through prayer, through Bible reading, through changing the pace of your life, through changing the focus of your priorities. And for each of you, it will be different. But know that God has revealed himself to you personally and individually. If you feel like God is far in this difficult season, you're not alone. If you feel like times have never been this hard, you're not alone in that either. But know that God has met you here. He has revealed himself to you with his love, his affection. And we choose to delight in the law because it is the beautiful display of who he is. So let's pause and let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for your, your revealed spirit of who you are. That when you created this world, you created it to be beautiful and to be good and to be perfect. And we know that sin has broken this world. And because of sin, uh, there is pain, there's heartache, there's sickness, there's frustration. And there are times for, for us that it's difficult to see that the creation is perfect. But we know that you created it perfect and we broke it. In the same way, God, you created your law and it is perfect. Yet we break your law as well. Forgive us for the times, God, that we have broken your creation and we have broken your law. And God, draw us into relationship through Christ that we can see and love and know and experience the delight in our hearts that comes from being immersed in who you are. God, refresh us this summer, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.